The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Welcome to Barron's Live, our daily webcast and podcast. I'm Alex Ewell, Deputy Editor of Barron's. Thanks for joining us today for our latest update on tech stocks. I'm joined by my colleague, Eric Savitz, Barron's Associate Editor who covers tech for us from Silicon Valley. Hey, Eric. Hey, Alex. So um, it's party time on Wall Street. Uh, yesterday, the Federal Reserve confirmed uh, basically the end to its higher for longer policy. Um, it talked about the likelihood of rate cuts next year. Stocks have been rallying across the board since the decision um, or since the decision to hold rates flat and the projections for next year, I should say. Uh, last night, in fact, Apple closed at an all-time high. The Dow closed at an all-time high. The NASDAQ 100 is on pace for a record close today. Uh, that all speaks kind of to the success of the largest cap stocks this year, I think. Um, even the, the broader NASDAQ, though, as we'll talk about, has had a big year. It's up 40% and now at its highest level since January 2022. It's off 8% uh, from its November 2021 record. Um, to me, that record seems all but inevitable, too, at this point, unless we see a sudden slowdown or a return of inflation. Um which which would which could overshadow these coming rate cuts. Um, so that's the macro picture. Um, let's. Uh, but as always, we we like to dive into the more tech specific stuff on this call. So let's start um, with a tech macro idea, which is this divergence of mega cap tech this year, the so called magnificent seven. Um, this is something you've been writing about. Just how stark is the difference, Eric, in performance um, now that the year's almost over between mega cap tech and the rest of the market this year? Yeah, it's pretty stunning, actually. I mean, if you just uh, uh, if you just do sort of a mathematical average of the the mag- magnificent seven, uh, which you know, of course uh, Apple, Microsoft, uh, Alphabet, Amazon, Nvidia, uh, Meta, and Tesla. So yeah. if you if you just look at that group of stocks, right? Um, uh, like the worst performer right now is Alphabet, which is uh, nearly up 49%. Uh, so like they're all up a lot. If you do a mathematical average, uh, they're up more than 100%. Um, that's, uh, that's, that's unbelievable, right? That they, they've all been able to perform like that. And by the way, you can go a little further down the list and find some other giant names that have done very well, right? Uh, AMD's more than doubled this year. Salesforce is up 90%, Adobe's up 75%, Broadcom's doubled. Uh, just amazing performance by large cap. And there's really, I think, a few things that are happening all at once. Um, uh, and and yesterday was just the culmination of, of what was, the I think, the biggest driver this year was a view that the Fed was almost finished. And, right. right. So that was the big problem in the down year two years ago was... Um, you know, the Fed started tightening. That's always bad for high growth stocks. All these stocks got clobbered. You know, NASDAQ was down like 33%. Uh, and then as we came into this year, sentiment began to shift. There was long before, of course, what happened yesterday, which is the Fed basically saying, yeah, we're, we, we, we think we're going to cut rates next year. Um, uh, there was a suspicion that they were almost done. There was a period, as you say, where we, 
think there was a worry about like higher for longer. Uh, but but at the end of the day, the sentiment was, well, the Fed's almost done. And when the Fed starts cutting rates, that's going to be great for tech stocks. And we saw that yesterday for sure. And then, uh, you know, you can layer on top of it two other things. One is um, the emergence of AI yeah. um, has uh, generated new excitement. Um, there's nothing tech investors like that are uh, better than a shiny new thing. And a, 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 AI is the shiniest and biggest of new things. Um, uh, and and uh, literally every tech company has some kind of an AI strategies. And we'll talk a little bit more about what we're seeing on that front in a little bit. But um, but that's another element. And then the other thing that you had happen was um, in, in, in a year where for some companies, the top line growth was a little slower. But you, what you saw was uh, sharp uh, cost cutting the, you know, the Mark Zuckerberg year of efficiency uh, phenomenon. Uh, and that's resulted in higher margins and higher profitability. So, and so that's uh, now going to, that's all now going to show up. So I think what, what one way to kind of put this is um, we now have officially a more supportive macro backdrop for tech stocks. And it seems yes. if you believe in AI and the future there, we also have this more supportive um, fundamental backdrop, right? Right. Now, but I want to come back to your original question, which is if you contrast that with, well, what, what was happening in the broader market? Well, um, you know, the, if you, if you do the S and P 500 on a, um, on an equal weighted basis rather than the usual way, which is, you know, to weight them by their market caps, right. Um, you end up, uh, with a return in the, you know, single digits. Um, I, last time I looked, it was four, it's up a little bit, it's probably six or seven by now, but you're still talking about a, a huge divergence between yeah. the big names and the smaller names. You can see this in the Russell. And uh, so do you think, well, do, do you think to the degree there's reasons to be optimistic for 2024, the kind of catch up there from the smaller names, it, it, it get, should give investors overall confidence and kind of trying to find opportunities because, because they will, they're likely to now outperform. Well, I, I think you want, I, I think it's, uh, I think you can make an argument that the Mag Seven are still, uh, as a group, are still stocks you want to own. Um, okay. But I, I think this kind of wide, wide divergence is unlikely. I think that the the rally is likely to broaden out as we move into the new year and and investors start looking for opportunities. So I think you know I've I've kind of done a sort of multi part. Uh, uh, set of columns the last few weeks on this, right? One, one basically looked at names that have kind of underperformed, uh, uh -huh. that, you know, hadn't really participated. You know, there's some, you know, stocks, I don't know, say like Cisco, which is only up 4% uh, for the year, or, you know, um, Texas Instruments is basically flat on the year. There's a whole bunch of them that are, you know, kind of been left out of the party uh, that I think are going to get a fresh look. I, I mentioned, uh, HP, for example, which is dramatically under uh, HP Inc., the PC maker, yeah. which um, I've been bullish about, is has really underperformed, uh, and, and even relative to Dell, which has actually had a pretty good year. Uh, so I think there's some of that, and then people also look at smaller names, uh, you know. So, so I think uh, some of the uh, performance is going to roll into other areas, but I wouldn't just wholesale like abandon them. They're they are up a lot for. Uh, among other reasons, they have very good stories to tell. Right. Okay. So let's actually go from smaller cap to the largest of the large, because I, I do want to talk a little bit about Apple, um, largely because last night, I think, um, you know, it defied a lot of skeptics um, 
by reaching a new all-time high. Uh, obviously, there are plenty of people out there pushing the stock up, so it's not all skeptics. But there's been a lot more skepticism around Apple um, because, as we can talk a little bit more about, the company really is not growing these days, at least not from a revenue perspective. So right. how is it that the largest company in the world, um, which is a fairly now pricey stock, um, is uh, is trading at an all-time high? And before you answer, I just want to give you know uh, some... I'll just put out some perspective for, for folks to think about, um, which is that on a price to earnings basis, Apple is trading at about 30 times um, the year next year's or the, the coming year of earnings. Um, NVIDIA, on the other hand, trades at 23 times. Um, so here, the hottest stock that everyone thinks, you know, would think of is so uh, it's up 200% on the year, right? Somehow it's cheaper than Apple. It's earning, NVIDIA's earnings are growing 70% next year. Apple's growing only 6%. Uh, on an earnings basis. And, and I think that's driven largely by by stock buybacks. Um, yeah. It's, what uh, is going on? Yeah. Well, so let's let's tease it apart a little bit. So first of all, um, you know, Apple being up uh, a little more than 50% uh, for the year to date, uh, the math is actually easy. That means it's added a trillion dollars in market cap. And like, you don't have to go too far to put that in perspective. There's only like, five companies with a market cap above a trillion dollars and they added a trillion dollars, right? They added like, I mean, NVIDIA is around 1.2 trillion, right? So they think of it as they added NVIDIA's market cap. Right. Dollars, yeah. uh, without showing any growth, uh, which is remarkable. Now there's a re so, so if you think about Apple's business, right? Apple, um, about half the business is iPhone. Uh, iPhone is, you know, $200 billion annualized business. If it was a standalone, it would be, you know, I don't know, in the top 15 largest U.S. companies. I mean, it's a gigantic business, right? But it's it's very much mature. It's uh, uh, the, the the smartphone business globally is not growing very much. Um, their market share uh, is seems fairly stable. They announce new models every year. Um, if you can get a replacement cycle and then get a little bit of help on the average uh, uh price per per phone that's the only real formula for growth and in, in in iphone that makes sense and um uh and so it's it's hard to count on iphone as a big growth driver ever and right now it's just not seeing much and it's also uh there's also an issue that apple is seeing increased competition um at the high end of the cell phone market in china particularly yeah. from huawei uh so there's there's a lot a lot a lot of uh uh, headwinds there that they have to overcome. And then uh, meanwhile, like the Mac and the iPad business, which I, and I would say, by the way, Macs, iPads, plus their wearables business, which is like watches and AirPods and various other things. Like you roll it all up. It's about a quarter of Apple's business. Okay. And I don't really think it ever really moves the stock. Like I think all of those things are viewed as like nice businesses, but probably you're probably not owning Apple because you're super psyched about the iPad market. I just don't think that that's the case. And then in case of Macs and iPads, they've not been growing either. So, um, uh, and that takes you to services, which is the, uh, you know, the fastest growing part of the business. Services is a huge business for them now. It's like about an $80 billion annualized business. But, uh, and it's it's got a ton of stuff in there, right? TV, music, you know, uh, advertising, search, you know, all sorts of things, right? Uh, it's a, it's a huge bucket of stuff. Uh, and as a, as a general rule, it's growing like low teens. 
uh, and that's helpful. But then you roll it all together and go like, okay, well, they're not growing. But I think that there's a view, um, and you know, you and I have talked about a lot. Like I think there's a view that Apple's going to figure this out, that Apple's going to find a way to grow. Um, you know, they're going to the, the the big new launch that's coming is the Vision Pro mixed reality headset at the um, eye-opening price of $34.99. Um, and no one really thinks that's going to make much of a difference uh, in, you know, 2024 or maybe 2025. There, there is a bullish view that like over time it will, um, it will, uh, it will be a contributor. So, uh, but, but yeah. what you get down to is uh, there's, it, it's almost a matter of faith. Like you have to believe that Apple's going to find a way to grow. If they don't figure out a way to grow, I can't see how, the stock keeps trading at 30 times earnings. Yeah. Well, so let me throw out one other idea that I've just been thinking about is, I mean, to what degree in, in our uncertain world do you think Apple has kind of become the ultimate defensive stock, um, tech or not, at, at, that investors are willing to pay up for? I mean, a company like Procter & Gamble, for instance, and this is stepping out of our tech expertise, but a company like Procter & Gamble for years didn't, didn't grow sales um, significantly, right? It was like a GDP grower plus maybe a couple yeah. percentage points. And it's traded, I don't know, 25 times because of that that safe haven status, I think. I mean, could yeah, Apple... Well, just well, there's an argument. Yeah, well, there is an argument that Apple's basically a consumer products company and, um, you know, it's, it's a... Cons I mean, unlike a lot of the other technology companies we talk about, um, their primary audience is consumers, not, not enterprise. Right, uh, right. Uh, you know, some people use it for work. I'm, we're, I'm using it in a MacBook Air right now. Right. So, um, so, so there's, uh, it's, it's a different dynamic. And so that's an, that is an element of it. I also think there's, um, uh, yeah, there's a sense that Apple's kind of like digital gold, right. They have lots of cash. They aggressively buy back their stock. Uh, they have a, you know, uh, high, uh, very high credit rating. Like they, they're, financially a very stable business and then you know the and the iphone business while it may not be growing much um it's also it's a very loyal user base um you know uh, very few people once they start using apple devices suddenly default right um, start I mean, switching to android just phone. to extend my yet to extend my comparison a little bit further like they always people like to say you know you buy Tide detergent and, and you stick to it for your whole life. But I, I would very, I would much sooner switch away from Tide detergent than I would from my iPhone Apple ecosystem at this point. Right. Now I will say one other sort of wild card here, a dynamic to think about is that for both the services business and for the wearables uh, accessories business called, think of it as a, um, you know, as a, uh, a, a sort of adjunct kinds of hardware. Like they're both kind of tied to the installed base of Apple devices, in particular iPhones, right? So, um, you know, how many Android users are using Apple Music? Like probably not that many, right? So I, I, I think um, I think there is a direct tie there. And so Apple needs to expand their their base of in, uh, installed um, devices over time in order to help drive the services business. If you had no growth in the installed base, right. uh, no, that's tougher. Point. And that's also true for watches and AirPods and, uh, you know, AirTags and, you know, all the other stuff that's rolled into that pile. Um, so I, I think that at the end of the day, you know, they're going to have to figure out a way to drive more units. There are things they could do. You could... 
Um, uh, I, one 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 school of thought is, uh, well, this is going to be an emerging market story that uh, they need to drive higher uh, penetration in the. I was just talking to an analyst about this uh, today that they 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 have an opportunity to drive more market share in uh, outside of India, so the largest emer uh, emerging markets outside. I'm sorry, outside of China, so including right. India or right. Vietnam or Indonesia or the Philippines or wherever else, right? Um, uh, those are all places where they have relatively low share. Um, and so maybe that's that's a long-term uh, contributor. But I think what, what you get with the stock right now is like a belief that like one of these things is going to work out. And, um, you know, I, I think uh, so we're now in the, their, what is their fiscal first quarter, the holiday quarter. Um, they've guided to basically flat year-over-year -year revenues. This would be the fifth straight quarter of basically no, no or less than none uh, growth. Um, so we'll see if uh, what happens from there. The, the street seems to be thinking, I think the consensus is for about 4% growth um, at the top line for fiscal uh, 24. Uh, we'll see. Um, and meanwhile, it's been a great place to hide out. I, but as we say, I mean, quite ironically, at up 52%, like it's underperformed most of the other large cap names. Yeah. Uh, which all is right. interesting. All right. Well, well something about the year we've been in. Um, all right. Well, we, uh, you know, let's, um, it, we'll, we'll definitely be watching Apple in 2024. Um, let's, uh, Let's move on to another uh, stock that you cover uh, a good bit, which is Netflix. Um, something interesting happened this week, um, which is they finally released audience data for all of their shows. This has been something that uh, has become kind of a, a controversial point with their talent um, and to some degree with investors. So they finally put out these numbers. Um, it's a, a crazy document because it's you know every show out there, so I don't even know right. what the spreadsheet is. But um, I will note that the top performing show in the first six months of the year was The Night Agent. Um, 812 million hours viewed. I was about eight of those hours. Um, I was a little surprised by that show being number one. I mean, it was, it was a fine show, but nothing, nothing spectacular. Um, what did we... Um, figure out though and what does this mean do you think um that this data is out there and that i think they're going to be reporting it now every six months right yeah so it, it's fascinating as you say that they're doing this because people have uh, have wanted to see this data particularly people in the industry i mean yeah. it's not just that they didn't provide it to people like us they didn't provide it to anybody they didn't provide it to the people who are producing the content um, so, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a way, a helpful way of keeping score. I mean, you know, there, there are no, you don't get ratings on a streaming business the way you might, if you were like a cable or broadcast television station. So, um, it is a useful way to keep score. It's, uh, of course, Netflix has always had this information. So they, they knew what people were watching. Uh, and now the rest of us know what people are watching. I, I, you know, to me, the, the most striking thing is that, um, it's all, you know, it's basically the whole list is basically original content um there was a point in time we not that long ago when uh there was a lot of hand wringing about um uh, uh the need for them to secure rights to popular content and uh they long ago have decided and i think quite rightly that the the secrets to success was creating original content 
and that's almost the entire list is, is original uh, content. I haven't looked at it in super detail. There are a few other I things. Did, on I did just do a search for friends on the spreadsheet, and um, way, way, way down the list, you get friends season six, friends season five, friends season three. Those are like 46 million hours for whatever, for, for what it's worth. Um, so they're on there, but yeah, but I think I think what's happened um, here is that um, people are turning, particularly to subscription services, um, for new content. Yeah. What's no, added, what's yeah. new this week, right? And uh, if you want to watch library content, um, that's more of a uh, advertising supported, like <laughs> right, right, and, and, and Netflix now has that advertising model. So maybe a lot of those hours were. Um, Right, it's a little unclear. Probably not a lot of them um, because we're it's still you know, small. It, yeah. It's still I, small. I just know one other thing that is really interesting and fits Netflix's uh, kind of long-stated goal of being of spreading its content globally. They have four columns in this uh, engagement report. One is the title. One is the release date. One is hours viewed, and one is available globally. Yes or no? So I think that's an interesting uh, kind of tells you a lot about um, how they're thinking about content yeah and you know they're they're uh I, I think one of the things that is that makes netflix unique is that they um they both produce a lot of foreign language content yeah um, i think the number three show is something called the glory which i don't yes. know much about which i think is a korean show is that right? yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, i think there's some other korean shows that are on the list um and of course squid game which is one of their you know most successful uh uh shows ever uh was uh, was Korean uh language was a Korean language show and now there's a sequel uh which is uh like a live action game show version yeah of, of that and uh but there so it's both their ability to produce foreign language content get people to watch it um in in countries in which where they do not speak the original language of uh, of uh the content and um uh, and then and then produce IP that they can reuse. Reuse. I think this has become. Um, it's it's worth talking about this because I think it's become like the critical point for Netflix, and it's one that if there were you know among the bears and the skeptics of this company five ten years ago, it was that is much, even if they scaled up globally, content would never scale, and that's kind of had been you know aside from some movies perhaps that do global the global box office. Um, most TV shows had it. And I think Netflix has proven to everyone, as, as you were saying, that we can do this on a global level and it works both directions. So. Yeah, and it's important for their growth story because, uh, you know, you can see in, in, in Netflix's numbers uh, uh, that the domestic market is mostly saturated. And, you know, of course, they've responded to that by creating an advertising tier and crying right. on password sharing. And so there's some getting some additional doing that way. Or additional subscriptions that way, but you know most people who want to watch Netflix already are watching Netflix, and so uh, if you want to really grow the user base, you have to do it in other places, and um, and so and part of that is in order to get like viewers in you know India or Korea or like wherever or uh, like you need to have some some uh, content. Uh, yeah, uh, you need to have some uh, original language content to get yeah. people to sign up. All right, content? so that's the Netflix story. Um, <clears throat> we will keep watching that one. Let's uh, just for a few minutes. I want to get to some questions, and please ask questions if you have them to our listeners. Um, but before we do that, 
let's just very quickly talk about uh, Adobe and Oracle, which were sort of the, the, the laggards in earnings season um, and just reported this week. Uh, Adobe's down 5% today, despite its strong earnings uh, they reported last night. And that's kind of because they had a, a weaker outlook. Um, seems to yep. me, it's another reminder we've talked about that uh, companies really have to deliver on AI. Um, and so there's some, ner- there's some nervousness, I think, today about Adobe's AI revenue in the coming year. Right. So, uh, you know, Adobe's quarter was good. They, 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 um, they edged the uh, estimates and their guidance for the quarter. <clears throat> but uh, you're right. The, uh, the guidance for, uh, for their um, next year, they're on a November year. So like their, their full year guidance and in fact, their guidance for the, um, uh, for their February uh, quarter were both a little bit below street estimates. Not, you know, not like a, uh, uh, freak out level miss, but like enough of a miss that the stock is uh, is getting hit about six percent. Um, and I I think that yet part of it is about AI. Part of it is like you know Adobe has gone all in here. They've uh, they're uh, they've announced AI uh, enabled versions of a whole bunch of their products. They have this new platform called Firefly, which you can do use to do a whole range of things in AI. I, I particularly like the uh, they're like, you know, text to image software, which is kind of fun to play with. And now they have a corporate version of that so that, you know, you're protected, for example, from any allegations of uh, IP violations resulting from that. But um, I just think it's going to take a little while. Now, I would note that they weren't super crisp about like why they missed. And no one likes, companies don't generally want to tell you why they missed the street expectations. They might just tell you that the the street was overly optimistic, right? Because uh, those were not their, it was not their guidance that they missed. Um, but there's a little bit of concern about that. I think you can overlay on top of that a little bit of concern about uh, the overall IT spending environment. No, they didn't talk about it extensively on the call, but they, you know, they did allude to the fact that there was a, um, there's a, uh, there, there remains, a, you know, kind of a, a tough spending environment that, so there's that element. And then, you know, the other wild card here for Adobe is uh, they have, uh, we're going on like 15 months since they announced they were going to buy this company called Figma for like $20 billion. Um, that thing is stuck in regulatory uh, uh, hell. And, uh, you know, the, the early indications from uh, regulators in both Europe and um, in the UK um, are that they have serious concerns about that deal. Um, I just spent a lot of time and energy on trying to get this thing approved. And yeah, one uh, question on that deal, Eric. It, it remind me, but that that announcement sort of came before the AI craze, didn't it? Yeah, it was like September of. So part of me wonders whether, because I think Figma was seen by by some Adobe folks or skeptics as like an indication that. If they didn't have ideas and they were losing to these upstarts and that's why they well yeah it was a collaboration tool where the there was a, they had a somewhat different different <coughs> version different approach to the market that adobe did and adobe basically shut their version down like they they uh uh they were not succeeding there so arguably they don't really compete head-to-head okay um, i just wonder whether in the ai world whether they still need it for their growth and and um it, you know, yeah i think there's a view that because of the nature of the sort of cult, well, I, I don't think it's so much that they need it. I suspect that uh, 
it's hard to parse these things out, but I, I, I suspect the street has probably decided that it's not likely to happen at this point. Okay. Um, so uh, we'll, we'll see. I mean, I, you know, they're going to get rulings in February from both okay. the European commission and from the, uh, the, the UK um, regulators. And by the way, the, the, uh, the FTC hasn't really weighed in here in detail yet either. So um, that deal is a little bit in trouble, but I, I think the, the larger point is, you know, the guidance was a little soft. The street wants to see signs that AI is getting like tons of traction and in a hurry. And I just think people are going to have to be a little bit patient. And that brings us to Oracle. Um, uh, so Oracle was a little uglier than Adobe. I mean, Oracle had sort of the same problem. Their their quarter was a little bit disappointing, unlike Adobe's. Adobe actually had a pretty good quarter. Um, or in Oracle's case, again, the guidance was a little disappointing. Um, they, uh, uh, as well as like disappointing results. And um, in part, one of the problems is that their uh, cloud business, which is called Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, they, they usually just call it OCI. Um, uh, or sometimes they use the phrase, uh, this is like the most jargony thing ever, um, IAAS or IaaS, which is like internet uh, in infrastructure as a service, right? They basically cloud computing. Mm -hmm. um, that business is growing very fast. It was it grew more than fifty percent in the quarter. This is a business that competes with Amazon Web Services and Microsoft Azure and Google Cloud. This is growing very fast. In fact, it's grow growing much faster than any of the other three, although it's much smaller. But it grew a little less slow, uh, a little more slowly than people had expected. In this particular quarter, and it was a slowdown from the last quarter. So people were wondering what's going on there. Oracle basically said it was capacity constrained and that they're investing uh, aggressively to build out new data centers. Um, you know, they have uh, they have a very strong relationship with NVIDIA. So they've been, you know, leveraging their access to, um, you know, NVIDIA GPUs to build out new data centers that can train large language models. They're, uh, in fact, uh, for example, uh, Elon Musk's uh, Grok, uh, you know, uh, the, his AI uh, chatbot runs uh, runs on Oracle's uh, data centers, uh, but it just didn't grow as much as, as expected. And so Oracle, and I, you know, as, as you know, Alex, I've been quite bullish on this opportunity for them and it, it's largely played out, but I, I think, uh, you know, this week there was suddenly some concern about the pace of growth. And there's, there's one other wild card in Oracle's case, which is uh, they uh, not that long ago completed uh, the, the acquisition of a company called Cerner, which is an electronic health records company, which was largely running on uh, on-premise uh, like old school data center software and Oracle's like rewriting all the code, moving it to the cloud. And in the process there, uh, there's been some slowing of that business and it is dragging their growth rate down by a percentage point or two. Now, software cat said on the call, this is the last year that that's going to be a problem. And then it's, you know, we'll, we'll keep going for there. So like they sounded pretty bullish on the call, but, um, but I, I would say that, you know, there was a little disappointment there that, um, uh, that they're not growing quite as fast as they were. Okay. Um, and again, they just blame it all on like, we're growing so fast that like we can't keep up. Um, uh, but we'll see how that plays out. Uh, street didn't like it. Stock was down like, it's down more than 10% this week, maybe 15. Yeah. Okay. And they're, they're lagging the NASDAQ short this year. Um, they're up about 20, 
three percent. Yeah, they were getting they were a little closer to the midline there until this week. this week. Okay. All right. Um so let's take a couple uh, questions. I think uh, obviously AI has been the theme of the year. We have two questions, uh, one from Carol, one from Kenneth that I think kind of encapsulates the uh, the whole question around AI because Carol asks, do you foresee a cooling trend for AI stocks in 2024? Kenneth asks, will 2024 be another year where AI leads the markets? So, <laughs> um, so who's right or, or whose question gets us to the right answer, do you think? Well, yeah, I think it's as complicated. First of all, when you say AI stocks, right? Well, so there's sort of, I think you can find two categories of this, right? So you have um, smaller standalone ones, right? So uh, the, the uh, names that uh, often uh, come to mind are like C3AI and Palantir, like smaller um, enterprise software companies that play in the AI space. Mm -hmm. Um, and then you also have like a bunch of sort of ancillary players, like say people who do like electronic design, automation, chip design are getting a boost out of this. And so like Synopsys, uh, for example, um, uh, and Cadence, like Synopsys is up like 75% this year. So some of those kinds of stocks are getting a boost. And then you have all the big ones, right? Like other than Apple, which doesn't have a clear AI play really, like all the big ones, Microsoft and Alphabet and Amazon all have major plays on AI. So I'm not quite sure how to define it. And the cloud, um, in, in some ways, just to take that a step further, the cloud um, has kind of become an AI play in just in and of itself, right? Yes, of course, because where does all this stuff run? Now, now to be clear, um, we've written about uh, the opportunity at the edge, right? AI PCs. Mm -hmm. um, it, just this morning, Intel had an event where they announced some new processors uh, intended for the uh, the you know AI PC. So it was like AI capability on everybody's desk and in everybody's phone. Uh, that's on the way. We're going to see a lot of talk about that in 2024. So um, AI is certainly going to be, uh, you know, topic number one or maybe like two after interest rates. Um, again, um, in 2024, uh, there's going to be a little more pressure to actual actually deliver, I believe, on some of the uh, promises, particularly for enterprise software companies. I think it uh, it will continue to drive a lot of investment, um, right? So good time to be a picks and shovels company. I mean, uh, you know, NVIDIA is sort of exhibit A, but AMD has a play here. Um, you know, their stock has done, um, done, done well this year. Um, you know, Intel is kind of coming from behind. Uh, but sees an opportunity, and uh, there's some other wild cards. Um, Qualcomm sees an opportunity to be an AI uh, uh, processor company and, as and well. Probably an area where, if we get back to our original uh, theme of the diversification and the spreading out towards smaller companies, um, we've written about some smaller companies that are selling into the AI market. Uh, a server a company that makes servers for the data center called Supermicro, company right. that makes cooling. Uh, systems for data centers called Vertive Holdings. I would think if you are going to get that um, that kind of diversification, this is an area where you'll see it as well. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, uh, uh, you know, like you, it might be an interesting time to look at a company like um, Hewlett Packard Enterprise. Um, you know, this is the other HP, right? This is the this is the chunk of it, what what used to be one company, the chunk of HP uh, that does like servers and 
Uh, they do networking equipment and um, among other things, they make supercomputers. Uh, so they actually own the old Cray supercomputing business, for example. Uh, they, they make other, like they call them high, HPC, like high performance computing. And uh, they're getting huge, huge surge in demand um, uh, from people who want to use that hardware for uh, for running large language models. And they have partnered with uh, some of the LLM companies and uh, they're buying, you know, buying parts from uh, NVIDIA and other, uh, and AMD and others. And um, it's a pretty cheap stock. I mean, it's, uh, it's trading, I think, uh, uh, uh like under 10 times revenues um it's it's a it's a cheapie and it's quite an interesting story uh i'm sorry under under two times revenues it's trading under uh it's trading like eight times earnings yeah um, so it's a cheap stock and but so i think there's going to be some things like that where you you know you might want to expand your wings a little bit but i still think that you know these companies that have benefited the most um you know the microsoft alphabet Amazon, those kinds of companies will continue to benefit. And I do think that, you know, I, I, I had a conversation uh, once with uh, the CEO of IBM, uh, Arvin uh, Krishna, another company that I think is, is going to benefit here. Uh, but Arvin made the point that uh, AI is a technology that is likely to be driven more by the large players than small upstarts, that while yeah. there are a lot of you know, there's certainly a lot of activity in the venture world around AI, but that the because of the cost of doing it and the complexity of the technology, it it favors the the big getting bigger. And the incumbents, um, yeah, I, think, the yeah, I think that's a really that's an it's an important point, and maybe right. goes um, uh, it runs counter to that diversification idea. All right, let's. Um, I want to take one more question with uh, a couple minutes we have left, and. Um, not necessarily maybe your expertise, um, but so feel free to just give us your thoughts here. But um, we, we got a, a question um, asking if you see China, if we see Chinese stocks, including Alibaba and JD, as hugely undervalued. Um, and before you, you know, before you answer that, I'll just note um, we talked about what a great year it was for tech. Well, one company that continues to underperform is Alibaba. Um, looking now is up, uh, it's down 17% this year. So I don't think anyone's ever questioned kind of Alibaba's dominance in China when it comes to, to the internet and e-commerce, but any thoughts there? I mean, what, what do you think about Chinese uh, tech companies? Yeah. So, you know, Alibaba in particular is interesting. It's a, uh, it remains, you know, a, a fantastic uh, business and, uh, you know, they have got tentacles, you know, not just in, uh, you know, in, in e-commerce, but in other parts of the, you know, uh, consumer um, uh, online world and payments. And they have like, a, um, th they do, they do lots of things. They have a cloud uh, business, uh, cloud computing business and things like that. But uh, yeah, they, they, and Chinese stocks generally have not done well. I mean, Alibaba has been bad, but like JD has been done worse. Um, and then, uh, you know, you have, um, uh, they're now well. So one one interesting comparison is I believe that um, uh, one that has done well is Pinduo Duo, uh, or I think it's how you pronounce the company's name. It's PDD. Yep. Um, uh, uh, they there that stock's up like eighty percent, and that's because they have this uh, 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 hot new online um, 
retailing business, uh, it competes with this other company called Shein or Shein. I don't know how you pronounce yeah, yeah. that one either, um, which is supposedly about to go public. Um, um, I actually think that could be an interesting catalyst for these stocks. I think it's really, yeah. If, if Shein manages to go public and with a U.S. listing, that that could change sentiment towards Chinese stocks is what you're saying, right? Right, I, right. Because I, I think it's going to, it gives you another point of comparison. Now, Shein is, the, the reporting on this is that they've filed confidentially. So it's not like we've been able to look at the yes one or know that much about their uh, financials, but they are growing very fast. It's a, they, you know, they sort of specialize in doing like very low cost uh, apparel. It's become very popular. Uh, and are they, are they the ones that have managed to not be domiciled in China? I can't, are they? Are they in yeah, Singapore? I believe they're now domiciled in Singapore. Right. Um, uh, so they've managed to avoid that particular problem. But, um, you know, I, I think that you can't ignore the fact that, um, you know, China is like the largest economy in the world and, uh, or the largest con- population in the world, maybe not the largest economy. Well, world, but so maybe, this uh, is, maybe this is going to be a 2024 theme that will... Uh, I think it's worth watching. I think you have to, you know, go carefully. Like, you you know, there, there are inherent problems with investing in Chinese stocks. Like, you don't have the same... You may not have this, quite the same confidence in the reported numbers. You, you're trying to deal with a... Um, you know, an economy and political system that are very different than our own. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's, it's a fantastic uh, company. And so is, it's what it has it sold off enough? Maybe. All right. All right. Well, that uh, that's all the time we have, Eric. So thank you so much for being here. Uh, and uh, please join us again tomorrow on Barron's Live. Our colleagues at Investors Business Daily, Alyssa Quorum and Justin Nielsen are going to be sharing their secrets for making smarter buy and sell decisions and how to leverage different timeframes to boost stock performance. So thanks so much for listening. Stay well and have a nice day. The energy transition is a long and winding road and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.